Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the 424th show of ROI. Our noted guest for today's show is Dr. Nancy Priester-Hayes, who is going to talk to us about her paper, Dangerous Paradise, Toolsboro, Iowa. The history buffs for today's show are Jay Swords and um, Ed Broders. The show's theme for is Kayla's theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. And our producer and engineer is, as always, Mr. David Baker. I would like to begin the show by welcoming our guest, Dr. Nancy Priester-Hayes. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Thank you, John. Uh, we call this segment History is Local, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on the subject uh, that you are the expert on. So can you start us off with some basic information about Toolsboro, Iowa, and why you became interested in it? And I must admit, when I saw the topic, I was kind of like, what is that? So please tell our listeners what it's about. I sure will. Well, this is um, a very well-known National Historic Landmark, Toolsboro. And if you're a school kid, you may have gone down to southeast Iowa. It's between Muscatine and Burlington, very close to the river, where the about a mile away was the channel for the Iowa River and just a little bit further down, the Iowa River joined the Mississippi. Okay. So, uh, of course, this is 2,000 years ago. So, Toolsboro is well known for the Indian mounds, and they're called the Midland Woodland Indians, and um, also the Hopewell. That's another name for them. And right next to this chain, eight originally of this chain, along a bluff above the Iowa River, there um, was a settlement. Um, starting in 1835, which included relatives, ancestors of my husband. So his family goes back to 1835, and um, there's some very interesting family chronicles about um, what they what they did with the Indian Mounds, as well as what the Putnam Museum did. So my um, so actually the name of my thesis, which I wrote for an MFA. I should probably say this, right? Um, Please do. MFA in Creative Writing in the Environment at Iowa State. I just earned it last May. <laughs> That's a fine That's institution. A <laughs> That's all I have to say. Um, at any rate, um, my thesis includes poems, field notes, and family chronicle information. It's kind of, it's kind of essays about family history. And so I, I have some of these poems that deal with the pioneers and, and and deal with the with the Indian mounds and I thought that I can refer to those a little bit. The name of the thesis is actually not dangerous paradise, it's precarious paradise. Of course I'm the old English professor so I like alliteration. Um, at any rate, um, the the reason for my concentrating, actually the reason for my after I retired from from St. Ambrose in the English department for my going for an MFA was because of my interest for Toolsboro. Um, our, our farm is right next door to the Indian Mounds. In fact, some of the Indian Mounds are on, on the bluff that's part of the woodland that we own now, and, and way back when did, but then in the middle 
period, we didn't. At any rate, we have reconstructed a prairie, built a house, built two barns, so it's my husband's retirement passion, is to, in a way, bring back the, the beauty of the original prairie, um, the dignity of the Indian mounds, which are also on our property in the woods. You can't see them um, unless you go back into the woods. And to um, restore the, the land and its heritage so that others will know about it, will understand the, the um, wonderful, rich past that actually um, was not, not just the, these woodland Indians, but there were waves of other Indians, the Oneotas. And actually, the name of the town, which became Toolsboro when Mr. Tool came in and named it after himself, um, it had been called Blackhawk because this is where Blackhawk's Landing was. When Blackhawk was exiled um, both before and then returned to after the Blackhawk War, um, he had his little lodge only a couple miles away. And this is where the government dropped off supplies for Blackhawk and his, um, his some of the tribal mem members, mostly his family. So this is really a rich po uh, point on the Iowa River slash Mississippi for even that, um, for the Black Hawk War and its aftermath. Uh, so let alone for these Indian mounds. And the Indian mounds were excavated by the Putnam Museum folks who were amateur archaeologists. And in 1875, a group of them with their, with their shovels and so forth, and, and they went down, I don't know, you know, I, I guess it was a buggy, horses, to Toolsboro, which was, you know, was Toolsboro by them. And um, they got local people, including some of our ancestors, to help with these digs. And they, they dug into probably five of the eight mounds. Two of them, supposedly, that are the ones that are part of the National Historic Burial Site, have not been dug into. But um, maybe one of them actually was. So anyway, this is um, fabulous um, historical material. And um, so plus adding on our beautiful prairie, we've, it's now it's in its 16th summer. And so I've, I've written a lot of my poetry about the prairie itself. So combining the, the history of the uh, various Indian groups as well as the pioneer, the settlers, with the beauty of the prairie, um, which existed before the um, Native Americans. Oh, I think, yeah, I'm going to All right, back. <laughs> not a problem, not a problem. Um, well, let's ask this question, my first questions in two different directions. For one, uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your husband's heritage? Uh, what brought them to was eventually going to be Turlesboro? And then... I know, obviously, you have a love of poetry. We were talking a little bit about this guy who was kind of a good bard centuries ago. But here's all these actions going down. You're, you're building the prairie. You're reconstructing all this fantastic history. And yet you're driven to write some poems about it. I mean, I commend you because when I've got five million things going in five million different directions, I don't mm -hmm. think about writing poems, but you did. So first tell our listeners about your husband's 
past a little more. And then what is it that caught your eye to sit there and say, hey, wait, the world is spinning and I want to write some great poetry? My husband's family came from Alsace-Lorraine, partly from Ireland and from Wales, so the two sides of the family. And they came as farmers. They were peasants who, who needed land. Okay. Um, and um, some of them came across the country. They were in other places, um, including Indiana, um, and moved across looking for land. So this is 1835. Um, they were squatters. Okay. Before the government had surveyed and opened it up, which was about 1842. But there was kind of a law there among the folks that you still could, you know, when they had the bidding and so on, if you had already squatted, it's yours. Or I think there were a few fatalities for people who tried to um, come in. Definitely. So, yeah, so this is is a family farm then that um, goes way back. And the younger son, who was my husband's grandfather, didn't inherit the land, but um, because you know the older brothers did, and he was given some money, so he had to purchase some property, and he ended up with this property right next to the now Indian Mound Museum. So, um, yeah. So anyway, um, that's that's how it, it just came into our family. Okay, and with all the commotion of you know examining mounds and trying to resurrect a prairie you did you get done at the end of the day and the ideas just started popping or did you see or certain experience sights and smells that inspired you or how did it happen well you can't help but fall in love with the prairie itself okay so this is um my passion and i i I do love Shakespeare, and I love the sonnets. So, of course, I was looking for material to write sonnets about. So I have some sonnets, and I have another form called the Villanelle, and I have I have one or two here I'd like to just give you passages from. But it's the beauty of the prairie in all seasons, as well as, you know, learning about it as if I, you know, I would love to take a botany class, but learning about it with a lot of books and learning the names and how to identify and noticing which seasons have the most of partridge pea or have the most of the you know how how tall the big blue stems are at what time of year and so i've been taking field notes for probably 10 years and then deriving poetry out of the field notes okay how about we read the one passage first and then we're going to take our break and then read the second passage and i'll let my colleagues jay and ed ask you questions about that one so the floor is yours Okay, so I'd like to, since we've been talking about the Woodland Indians from 2,000 years ago, I'd like to read a, this is a villanelle. It has a distinctive, some um, repetition in it, a distinctive form. It's called Ancient Grief. Eight mounds were built 2,000 years ago of sacred earth transported to a bluff above the Iowa River's steady flow by grievers trudging up through sorrow's throes, switchbacking steep terrain and rough. Eight mounds heaped tall 2,000 years ago. They scooped the silty soil. They bent down low and brimmed their braided baskets full enough beside the Iowa River's steady flow. Their dead they carried high to lay down low to cover them with sheets, their finest stuff. Eight mounds piled wide 2,000 years ago. Beside them, 
pearl and shell beads they bestowed, placed bird-shaped pipes in afterlife to puff, of pipestone, pearl-eyed, for better sight below. We are their kin, we also sorrow know, at grave's side, staring down from brink-sharp bluffs. Eight mounds were built two thousand years ago, above the Iowa River's steady flow. That was marvelous. Thank you very much. I'm excited because we have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned to our next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. It's easy for nonprofit church or service organizations in the Quad Cities to announce their upcoming events to the KALA audience by submitting a public service announcement today. We need information from you at least two weeks in advance. Visit KALAFM.org for all the details. Tell us the who, what, when, where, and why. Email KALA anytime at KALA at SAU.edu. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the second segment of our show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our noted guest for today is Dr. Nancy Priester-Hayes, and we're talking about her paper, Precarious Paradise, Toolsboro, Iowa, excuse me. The history buffs for our sh- today's show are Jay Swords and Ed Broders, and why don't we have it where you read your second segment, then I'm going to give the floor to my colleagues. So please read your second poem. Okay, thank you, John. So I, I used my first poem to read for the historical side of, of our our homestead. But I want to read this one about the prairie itself that it has a lot of, um, of history, but a different kind, you know, not a human history. So this poem is called For the Beauty. For the beauty of the prairie, of the ox eyes yellow rays trained on the haze-rimmed rising sun, of the sparse pink sprays of showy tick, whose leaves Japanese beetles nibbled down to lace beneath a blush rose glimmer. Of the prairie blazing stars, pink purple fuzzy column, flaming cattail, sparkler in mid sizzle, drama queen on spiky stalk. Of the yellow coneflower's evolution from gray seed head circled by pale points to dark brown cone with drooping golden petals languidly drooping golden petals languidly by in the summer breeze. Of the culver's roots, small candelabras, lighting rabbits, leafy banquet tables, of the white wild indigo's tall spires of full round blooms that broadcast brightness over late June evening's dusky green. Of big blue stems bolt in hot July past ox eye, showy tick, past blazing star and yellow coneflower, culver's root, on upward past proud white wild indigo to bob above, tickling wings of darting swift and swallow, stirring souls to sing this song, this our hymn of grateful praise. Very cool. Very, very cool. Um, so 
I'm fascinated by the combination of things that you used for your masters. That's a, a combination that we don't run into very often. And so I know my colleagues are going to be asking about some of the history and some of the poetry. So I thought I would start you with the chronicles that you looked at. Um, can you tell us very briefly kind of how much information is there and then if there were two or three things that really jumped out at you or surprised you i'd like to know what those were as well good question so the chronicle that we used is one by fred taylor fred hayes taylor so hayes connection um and it was actually uh written down in about eight about 1960 um after interviews with grandpap so our mutual grandpap was a great grandfather and they're mostly anecdotes but they do include this one um, that tells about the earliest settlers from my family's past in 1835 who came to these Indian mounds um, looking for a nice place to to build a house and um, plow plow some crops and um, I have, you know, uh, this is what surprised me the most and actually brought tears to somebody who, who was working on this from the Iowa Office of the State Archaeologist. Um, so I'll, I'll read this. Um, the first thing Aunt Abby did after getting to Iowa was to plan and build a large new brick house on top of a very large Indian mound at the west end of the chain of mounds on top of the rim of the bluff, just north and west of Toolsboro. I refer to Aunt Abby planning it because she had most of the energy and go-ahead like her brother Elias. Elias, um, this is an aside, is the, the family member that um, my father's family comes from. Free Shaw was a very easygoing man and was slow to get much done. Anyway, they started the brick house by digging a large basement. When they began, they had no idea that the big mound was an Indian burial ground. They hauled skeletons away by the wagon load, dug up the finest Indian relics ever found in this part of the country. Uncle John, who's my husband's dad's and Fred Uncle's great uncle, Fred Hayes's great uncle, and Grandpap Hayes said the pipes, axes, beads, stone knives, and some copper pieces were the finest he ever saw. Uncle John told me that Free Shaw still had some of the relics in the 70s. That's the 1870s. So this passage from the Chronicle, um, just really took our, it, it still does, takes my breath away. The pioneers, these early settlers, had no concept of, of what these these big mounds were. They, they were up to 30 feet tall. Um, and um, much later, so 50 years later, the Putnam Museum folks, and this is another source of my information, some of the reports that were written for excavations conducted by these Davenport amateur archaeologists um, including Mr. Putnam and now um, these relics that they excavated are in the Putnam Museum some of it on display much of it in drawers down in the basement that we've had a chance to see at any rate um, their archaeological reports have then been quoted and printed again in some of the um, local archaeologist um, societies, archaeological societies, um, some of their recent, they, they have publications. So I've brought family history together with some of the local amateur archaeology, excuse me, archaeology um, folks, 
and I have otherwise just um, learned from my my husband who's told me what his father's said and, and grandfather. Ed. Yeah, um, Nancy, can you give us a, a sense of the physical dimensions of the place? I mean, are we talking about 20 acres, 80 acres? And the, the brick house was built on top of a mound. Um, but are these mounds on top of the bluff? Or, you know, give us a sense, if you would, about the lay of the land. Yes, um, the size of the of the, of this segment of the property and our prairie is about 15 acres, but we also own. I always use that word carefully. The woodland that goes down to the now it's the backwaters of the Mississippi, um, another 20 acres. So that's um, a very precipitous bluff um, and has been eroded. So. Um, you you go down at your at your peril. Um, these mounds along the top um, they probably roughly are a couple of the the this chain is about a couple of miles perhaps um, and the mounds vary in size. They originally were supposedly from some of these early um, some eight from the um, Putnam Museum folks thirty feet tall. Um, and there are some other sources too. There's a, a wonderful immigrants guide. I wanted to mention that by J.B. Newhall. That is one of the first descriptions of it. But it's not a large place. Um, Toolsboro itself became a little village, and was abutted the two large mounds that, um, because of this this little town pioneer settlement, um, remained actually um, intact. Um, so it, it really it merits a, a visit. A lot of school children take their buses down there. Um, it's on Highway 99, seven miles south of Wapolo. So that helps to situate it. Yeah. Jay. So we've talked about um, some of the family writings. I think we, we should not end the uh, radio portion of the show without talking about some poetry. <laughs> um, so my, my question is, with all of the information, both visual and uh, written and anecdotal and whatever, how does the process of poetry writing work for you? Do you take information and just lay it out and then start from there? Do you sort of free verse and just kind of let things flow and write things down and then edit down from, from what pours out? What's the what's the writing process like for you as a poet? Well, I I have probably a pretty similar process. Um, I've just gone through this wonderful workshopping process at Iowa State, and um, what you have to yeah you know, what you have to do, of course, is you just have to write something down to start with. Um, and because our focus was on the environment um, and we had assignments, I would just, um, you know, I have a subject, mostly prairie connected. And then I happen to be someone who loves formal poetry, but I was exposed to and I, I wrote a lot. In fact, probably most of my poetry then was free verse, finally, because it suited the material. But some of the, the poems that I wrote that are more incantatory, like the, the one that I read, Ancient Grief, um, has more of an emotional um, content, and I have 
gone through many, many renditions of these poems. So, you know, you start off with with um, an emotional standpoint, and for me, I'm just I am an aesthetic nut. So, <laughs> I I you know I go ooh and eyeing over the color of of the asters with their yellow centers. So the purple asters and the yellow centers, and I'm going oh my gaga about the fact that that's complementary colors and that's why it's so bright. And anyway, I I can go on and on like that. And you know I I, I love um, to write about nature, but I often use so I went through the seasons several times and and wrote poems I used my field notes so I've written you know I just sit down and after walking around the prairie which we do we go on weekends more often now and walk around the prairie every morning and in the evening and and then I go back and I sit down and I just write everything that I've seen and I account for and and um, all kinds of um, little anecdotes critter paths and so on so then, um, out of my field notes, and I have a section in my in my thesis of the field notes, I pull moments uh, um, of things that I've I've seen, and and then I, in a way, I, I guess I um, condense them. So the the poetry process for me is to take away all of these interpretive thoughts, like I'm talking about now, take them away and have the bare bones, if I can, of what I saw, what stands out, but to have it become musical. So, you know, I'll find synonyms that alliterate or synonyms that have onomatopoetic value and, uh, and work at it, and I, and I let others read them. And um, finally, you know, I get to a point where I just have to stop. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I have a real uh, desire to continue. I'm still writing my field notes, uh, and I have a love of this place, and I, I want to put Toolsboro on the map, and so this this radio program is a, a way for me to, to start doing that. In our final uh, segment, the final seconds before the segment ends, I should say, uh, it is customary for us to give you the last word. Nancy, why do you think knowing about Toolsboro, Iowa is relevant in today's world? You kind of gave the introduction in your last segment. Well, can you go further with that? Yes, I can. Um, and I can read a little something that is part of my thesis. Um, it's an introduction. My hope is that we, as descendants of the first settlers, can inspire more reverence as we seek to steward the sacred land, that we can view the remaining mounds and the field now bristling again with red-gold October blue stem in the light of consecrated places. Fantastic. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2.
This concludes the 424th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. We would also like to thank our noted guest, Dr. Nancy Priester-Hayes, who talked with us about her paper, Precarious Paradise, Toolsboro, Iowa. The history bus for today's show are Jay Sword and Ed Broders. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. And we would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Thank you.